Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. My name is Ben Gary, and today I am joined by Ed Wilson. Ed, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Ben. Uh, hit a, a milestone this year in terms of wearing my shorts out for the first time today, so first time this year, so yeah. <laughs> I know the sun's out here in England. It's uh, warm for the first time yeah. in a little while. So I haven't quite hit that milestone. But yeah. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, like 10 years in SEO or something like that. But no, your milestone was short. No, something more time. important. Something more important. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today we are joined by a guest, as we usually are. Uh, and our guest this week is David Finberg, the CEO at Peaks Digital. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on and uh, doing well. Excited to be here. And as people may hear from your voice, you're not based here in the UK with us. So where are, where are you speaking to us from today? Yeah, so we're, uh, we're out here in uh, Denver, Colorado. So out in, uh, in the United States, out in the, towards the West Coast. And uh, it's nice and, uh, and sunny this morning, although yesterday we did get some snow, but it kind of oh, wow. oscillates between snow and 60, uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which... Uh, you know, is shorts weather out here, but it just yeah. kind of oscillates, which is funny. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. And thank you for joining us in, in the morning. I know for you, you're recording this a fair bit earlier than it is for me and Ed. So uh, we really appreciate you making the time and it's great to have you on. Um, but let, let's start with a, a full intro for you so that people know who you are, uh, what your background in this industry is. So if we go back a little ways first, how did you first get into SEO? So it's funny, uh, I actually started building um, websites at a young age, so like 10, 12 years old, it was back in the dial-up era, like in the 90s, um, started building like GeoCities and AngelFire, for those of you guys who and gals who, who remember like the early days of dial-up, you, know, you could build these free websites on, um, on like self-hosted platforms that, you know, were basically just free, so you could technically say, uh, you know, nine or 10 years old, uh, you know, 96, 97, um, was building websites for like friends and family. And then, you know, over the years, uh, it took a lot of different, different paths and was a master Mercedes mechanic for a while and then worked at a, a startup and, um, you know, just kind of expanded those skills as, as time went on. Um, but recently, you know, the, the last 10 or so years have been purely, um, SEO focused and, and it's been, you know, an awesome journey just to see um, how the, the markets evolved over that time. Yeah. So what was it that, that made you want to have that SEO focus for the first time and, and choose that direction? Well, I always love creating, I kind of believe what I believe is, is, you know, there's not going to come on a silver platter, right? Like mm. you look at younger people and you look at people who are maybe taking a pivot in life you know, maybe at an older age and it's like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Right. And so what I um, ended up kind of coming to was looking at my skills. Like I've always loved websites. I've always loved helping people. I'm, you know, traditionally a very technical person, right? Like working on, um, you know, different types of cars and websites. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was like a model train person when I was growing up. Right. So it was like all these little details and yeah. it was hard for me to decide. So, um, you know, I think like one litmus test is like, what do you like to do? Like, what were you great in at school? And when I was a kid, I was building websites. So there was like one component and the other component was, was more of a, a, 
a heavy emphasis on content versus like, let's say calculus, right? Like sure. I'm still, still good at simple math, still good at maybe more complex math, but like these were the two things. And I think SEO is really the perfect um, kind of marrying of those two concepts, right? It's like website yeah. and content and then the technical underpinnings of how those, you know, interact with each other. Um, so I, I uh, you know, basically made a decision of like, hey, you know, I was going to be a network security expert, you know, going into um, the next season of my life, you, yep. you know, I was maybe 24, 25 years old thinking, okay, I'm going to go do what like my dad does, right? Which is yep. like networking and engineering and I actually want to be like a certified ethical hacker, which is like oh. a certificate you can get out here. It takes quite a bit of schooling yep. and time. And um, I just found like my passion really wasn't in you know, the, the, the math and the programming, it was more in, in like the light programming, heavy content and, and like heavy creativity. And that's where, um, that's really where my journey started and worked at some startups and, you know, had some mentors and people that, that gave me some initial kind of skills that, um, you know, unfortunately all went away when, when the Panda and the, uh, you know, the updates oh, yeah. in 2012, 2013. So it was, uh, there was a time where, you know, I was working at this startup. We'd grown the startup um, to substantial amount of revenue. You know, it's generating, you know, half a million a year or something as a startup, which wasn't bad, right, with a, a yeah. you know, a group of five guys or something. And over time, um, you know, made that pivot and the company ended up disbanding. And there was, you know, I didn't really have any ownership in that company and I didn't really have any, uh, I felt like they didn't really have any skin in the game. It was like a bunch of guys just working yeah. you know, having fun. And uh, I said, well, how do I have more fun and, and start up my own version of this? So I moved out to Colorado, started Peaks Digital that, um, you know, a few months before I moved out here. And, um, you know, we've been been growing ever since. So um, it was kind of an up and down journey. It's not like most people were like, oh, I found yeah. a Udemy class or like, you know, hey, my friend put me onto it. It was it was a little bit of everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been a, an awesome um journey just to you know as you're kind of like reinventing those skills and you know reinventing the ways that you do things have a have a nice clean slate to build off of nice can i ask um, david does the peaks digital name come from uh denver in terms of the mountains surrounding it or uh kind of so i was originally uh, i guess the better way to describe it was i was I'm originally from virginia washington dc area which is like far east right for those of you mm -hmm. who who do or do not know um, and so Colorado is, is, uh, you know, got a lot more mountains, like mountains in Virginia, they call them like hills, right? <laughs> so <laughs> there was definitely, uh, you know, my cousin had lived out here and, um, there's a desire to get away from the beltway, the traffic, um, mm -hmm. and just start somewhere fresh. And so, uh, I didn't know it when I started the, the name peaks digital, you know, I came up with the tagline. It was like, okay, reach your summit, peaks digital marketing, we're SEO Sherpas, you know, awesome, great. And then that's after that, that's when I moved to Colorado. So oh, it was kind of like in the back of, you know, I don't know if plan to move to Colorado. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was going to be real and I was going to start the company either way. So uh, it definitely was a, a you know, um, the vision was to move out to Colorado and, you know, be up on top of a mountain, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, having conquered life, so to speak, as we know that that isn't always how it works out. And it's more for the journey than it is the destination. Uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of 
of uh, playing of words and kind of intimately tying that in with, with the Colorado market now has worked really well. That's awesome. Um, and personally for you, how's your role changed in terms of the, the day-to-day, maybe what kind of SEO you get to do in the years since you've started the business? Yeah, um, you know, we've uh, we started with a lot of like e-commerce. So uh, Magento, some Shopify, you know, WordPress. Um, and my role is, is really changed in the fact that I'm no longer um, working in the business. I'm more of like working on it now, right? So that's the tricky part is, is for those of you who have agencies or, or playing and starting an agency or are solopreneur and want to grow. Um, it was making that decision of like, do I want to, you know, at some level you, you start to make um, enough progress and you could, you know, I could have been self-sustained just as a solopreneur. I was lucky to have really great mentors around me and people that, you know, to this day still run, you know, um, successful businesses. And, and they were like, look, you know, this is great. You've grown. Um, where do you want to be? Right. Do you want to work in your business or do you want to work on your business? And um, I decided to double down. I said, okay, well, if I can get this far, let's see what else I can do, right? And and more importantly, let's see what kind of art other people can create. It's great that, you know, yeah. I have my processes and there's a lot of, you know, training and, and imparting of that process. At the end of the day, we really want to empower other people. And so that was a big reason in, in moving forward with that is like I was very happy being solopreneur. I'm very introverted usually. Yeah. So, um you know, as a copywriter, as a, you know, marketing person or a web developer, like we love to just sit and like, it's just you and the computer. And that's how I was growing up, right? It was just me and the Mercedes or me and the, you know, managing this auto shop. And it was like very much one, one person show. And um, it was really hard to scale that way. And it's really difficult to, um, you know, have the time off that you want and the freedom and flexibility that you want, unless you want to, you know, downsize your works uh, workload. So, um, today it's, it's really about building the right culture, um, uh, empowering, uh, it's like empowerment of the team, yep. imparting of skills, process, process, process is what I tell my team every day and every week. Um, and so it's a lot different than the like, Hey, let's hop on and review your report or, yep. Hey, like, let's go optimize the sites on page. It's more of like steering the ship. Right. And that has been a pretty big change. Um, I mean, we've been around for. It's going on eight or nine years, but like the yeah. first two to three years, it was just me, right? Or like yeah. me and one other person or like an intern or, you know, a part-time employee. And now it's, it's the point where um, really the only way to scale is, is, you know, with an awesome team. And that is like our biggest asset right now. So yeah. most of the time you'll find me uh, leading them or um, connecting with clients, you know, on the back end of things, as opposed to like a front end meeting, things like mm-hmm. that, that, that are helping, you know, move the needle and grow the business yeah well that's brilliant well and i'm glad you've uh, you've been able to come and talk seo with us now it must be quite nice to still have the opportunity to to chat seo now and then and sort of get back onto the onto the front line with this sort of thing yeah absolutely um, and that will kind of bring us into our our main topic uh the topic broadly that we're going to be we're going to be speaking about with you today um, is going to be on this, this sort of overlap between SEO and UX and looking at sort of site performance and site experience and what that, what that means for SEO now. But there's a bit of a segue into that from, from your own experiences and some of what you've touched on already. 
We were just curious to, to see from your perspective, what have been some of the biggest changes you've seen in the SEO world itself since you've been running your company? And you mentioned that um, sort of Panda and Penguin came on in the early days that you were learning SEO. Um, so what else have you, have you really seen that's maybe changed the way SEO looks in the last few years? You know, link building has, has really changed a bit in the last few years. Um, the types of links that Google actually gives authority to um, and what we mean, you know, by links are like backlinks and vouchers. Think of mm-hmm. backlink as like a voucher to your site. What, what we like to um, look at are a few different areas. And I think backlinks have, have undoubtedly been one of those areas, right? Like the low quality guest posting kind of like, you know, hey, even if the site has a high DA or high domain authority, right? Like doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's going to be quality for the, the user that's reading that article or the content you know, on that website may be questionable. So yeah, there's kind of like three main things that we've seen is like quality of backlinks and like the level of um, success that you need to do like great outreach to do great, you know, sponsored posts or whatever the heck's, you know, the strategy there, there's like 10 different strategies you can use there. Um, and, and we've shared a couple here with the, you know, sponsored posts and things like that. Yeah. The other would be um, the content. So the quality of the content, right? Like, the needles being moved can, you know, everyone's trying to rank on page one. Yeah. So there's only 10 website slots. So 90% of people aren't going to hit page one. That's just the reality. Right. So sure. um, when you look at your content and like everyone's been re-engineering some of their content or like trying to make it more EAT focused expertise, authoritativeness, trust, or like quality content is another way to, you know, describe that. I think that, um, you know, the threshold for high quality content's getting more, it's getting higher. It's yeah. more aggressive. So like no longer can you, you know, it used to be about length and now it's really about comprehensiveness. It's about um, authoritativeness and like making sure that there's maybe some original analysis in there or um, even like the links that you're presenting in that content, which is more of like an old school strategy of like your internal and external links. Um, you know, it's like, how likely is your, your page to solve the user's query? And yeah. um, to me, it's more competitive now with everyone trying to create content at scale. People are using like AI content tools. There's a lot of junk out there and there's a lot yeah. of people that are good at creating like low to medium, what I would call like medium level content, right? Mm. I'm calling content low, but like, you know, 1200 word article, like if it's not comprehensive enough and your competitor did a 2000 word article yeah that's one point but like really looking at what are the like differences in the writing style or the delivery of that information um how interactive is the content how is it presented um you know google what i find is like google's looking at like if a link's presented is a user clicking it right and there are all these like kind of tertiary you know 2000 plus 200 plus whatever you want to call it ranking signals and a lot of what we're seeing is like pages that are more comprehensive that have that you know next level of experience design interactivity maybe structuring of the information those are the types of sites that are doing better um and sites that have you know medium quality content or maybe it's you know not the full comprehensiveness that that you would expect from another site like wikipedia or something like that um, those sites, you know, are, are, uh, need like more work 
right? Yeah. So like if you're coming in and you haven't worked on your content and you, may, you had this, you know, firm create you a website and now you're ready for SEO and you come to us, we're going to audit all of your content across the whole site. So um, it's not enough to just have like a couple great blog articles and then like mm. bunches of thin content or it's not enough to have like a good article. It's like you really need to have a cutting edge, like innovative, best in class article with great sources and and an actual understanding of the market. And I think a lot of people set out with all these tools like SEMrush or Ahrefs or they're using like a, you know, Jasper.ai or one of these tools that will help them create content without truly understanding the topic itself. And so, and that's evident, like so many people come to us and they're like, well, we had people write us blogs and they were good. It's just, they weren't, accurate or it didn't sound like someone from our industry it's like the branding right so we're kind of flipping the script in terms of what we do here is is like your brand your seo is just the icing on your cake right so if 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 your content's a cake um it needs substance and it needs like you really do need to be an expert or have someone on your team that is an expert in these different niches in order to sound well. And I think as the algorithm gets smarter, it's going to be less about keywords and more about right topics, more about the Mm -hmm. quality of the content and the original analysis. And it's like, if you're a doctor and you can reference studies and you've had experience in, you know, with certain ailments and you're writing about one of those ailments, it's going to sound totally different than like someone who keyword, you know, search yeah. like topics on SEM rush and is just trying to like spin content to like compete with yeah. that. Right. So um, the process needs to change and it's going to take it to us takes a lot longer to create content. I wouldn't say it's a long period. Right. But like we usually have an intimate, you know, sit down with people and, and like have an interview and like really understand what is mm. the, the topic at hand as opposed to just like, you know, what I think a lot of these tools encourage you to do is just put out like mediocre content at scale. Whereas we think the opposite is true. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. That was, was, yeah, really in depth and had some really good takeaways straight away just on content there. A little little bonus for people listening. (laughs) Bonus. Yeah. Um, David, so when we're talking about SEO and and user experience, you mentioned a few things there and especially you said, um, around like satisfying user intent i guess when we're talking about seo and user experience some of the top things that will come to light are like the responsiveness of the website and one of those key things would be would be page speed which i think has been um, a focus not only for like web uh, designers developers etc but also seos in recent years and that's kind of increased due to the introduction of of core web vitals i know it was a kind of a delayed rollout of the core web vitals, but I think as SEOs or even people have been interested, I guess digital marketing have been aware of the core web vitals coming even, you know, two years before the launch of this. So in terms of the impact that the core web vitals, you know, the launch of that, so over a year, well, nearly a year now, has it been as impactful as, as you has, uh, as you've expected in the industry? There's, um, I'd say yes and no. Like, it's it's something that it's not nice to have. It's a need to have, right? On the other end, um, there's a reducing rate of return. So, like, what we're seeing is um, sites that go from, let's say, an eight-second or a ten-second to a four-second, right? You're not only going to improve your bounce rate and some of your user metrics, you're actually going to increase your conversion rate as well. 
Um, and there's some stats out there that support this. I think Cloudflare, Cloud, you know, Cloudflare did a study on this. Um, there's a couple of, of different, you know, guides that that can walk you through like what the exact numbers and conversion rate increase and uplift can be. Um, on the other end, like people get caught in the weeds. And so there's people like optimizing, you know, we like to take a pretty comprehensive approach. There's also, um, I'd say like people or individuals, maybe clients or maybe owners of websites that get too granular. And they're like, what about this specific line item? It's like, oh, well, my image isn't lazy loaded. And you're like, well, this is a hero image. Like you can't lazy load that. You can, mm -hmm. it's just the user's not going to have a great experience with that image being lazy loaded and page speed or GT metrics or whatever you're using is going to tell you, like web dev is going to tell you like preload this image or like lazy load this image, right? Mm -hmm. And you do that and then the site experience gets a little wonky. So um, the main thing is making sure that, you know, you've got your six to seven different, areas on the website like cleaned up like your your image optimization are you using webp are you you know working through um the javascript and the third-party apps and making sure nothing's render blocking and making sure that the php version's fast enough and you know all these different um items that you know probably members of my team could probably speak to a little bit more in terms of the technicals but long story short like once those are done it doesn't make sense to like go over with a microscope and try to get, you know, every little single thing, unless you have a team that is like just dedicated towards that, or that's your goal. I would say like shoot for an 80 or 90%. So like on mobile, we're shooting for like a 60 to 70 on mobile and like a 90 to hundred on desktop. That might not always be the case for most people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that if you're getting like a 50 on mobile and you were at like a five, that's probably where the bulk of your uplift is going to, you know, that's where your, most of your gains are going to be realized. You're not going to see as big of a gain going from like a 50 to a 60 or a 60 to a 70 on mobile versus like, you know, your initial jump. So I've seen people go really crazy and like spend years optimizing Magento site that probably could have been, optimized in like a month right or like a couple of weeks magento is like a little bit different animal they're pretty complex especially when you have a lot of plugins mm -hmm. just looking at it from the perspective of like um version done is better than version none that's what a great mentor told me right and like we need to you know i'm a perfectionist so i love getting every ounce of speed the data doesn't support that that is always worth the, the investment the 20 percent needle moving of of that is you know, the 80% jump that you're going to take initially. And then, you know, we always want to get things faster. We're always kind of slow rolling new optimizations behind the scenes for our clients. So it's, it's something that you can continue to focus on. Maybe it's not like you're, you're not stopping the development train just to focus on, you know, a, a five point uplift on page speed once you've gotten your like 50 point uplift. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of great gains and, and it's certainly something that's a great tiebreaker and you need it to be competitive. One of the, the biggest offenders that I see and like biggest impacts to, to page speed is like when you have a CLS shift, it's called a cumulative layout shift. So when mm -hmm. like the site starts bouncing around, you ever been on a site and it like jumps from where you were to a different spot? Yeah. It's a lot on the, um, food recipe websites, right? When you're trying to scroll down and it's just taking you all over the shelf. That that and your LCP, your longest contentful paint. So like how quickly, you know, 
users are seeing like a, a complete experience. Doesn't mean the whole page is loaded. Like those two things will destroy your user metrics. So like you're gonna kill your opt-in rates just from having like the page jump around or a CLS shift. So like certain things like maybe higher priorities than necessarily pure score, but that those types of things are so detrimental that they'll tank your score and you'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to see why your score, like once you fix that, your score will jump up quite a bit. Right. So that's that, those are like the two um, core things around core web vitals is like your CLS. Right. And um, mm -hmm. focusing on mobile, which is typically harder and making sure that, you know, you're preloading and like you can get a user, um, a snapshot of your website and get them like interacting with that website as quickly as possible. So like, do you need to load all the things in the footer or like the review widget that's like loading from three different servers and plugins and providers, right? Like delay, asynchronize, all that, leave it, mm -hmm. you know, leave that alone and get users to be able to read your hero, your header, you know, what do users see when they first land on your site? Make sure that's interactive first then you can kind of clean up everything else, right? So it is a comprehensive approach. It's not kind of oversimplifying it, but that's really the the um, needle moving activity is, is you know, users will stay on your site longer as, as your brand has this perception of speed in order to give them that perception of speed, the site needs to be stable and, you know, load the, the first things that the user is going to see uh, relatively quickly. Yeah, You've, you mentioned there a few times in terms of like understanding where to invest and where to focus on. I think, um, you know, Google bringing to the, the, the Lighthouse Auditing and a lot of page, board, uh, page speed tools to for anyone that's, you know, have, you know, even like uh, people early to their venture or startups, or even established businesses are able to use these tools to understand and score their websites on that. But on the on the other side, people can get obsessed with these metrics in terms of, like you mentioned there, in terms of a specific scoring metric and thinking, you know, 100 is the end goal. Whereas I think, again, you've mentioned the likes of Magento or other frameworks or site architectures out there. It's pretty much an impossible job to score that, that 100, uh, that 100 benchmark in certain areas. So you also mentioned like areas that you'd look to optimize in terms of quick wins, but when you're looking, working with a business and understanding where that, you know, investment is, I mean, particularly from my experience, investing in PageSpeed can be a, a hefty resource when working with development teams. And you really have to understand, you know, the hours that go into specific optimizations. And ultimately, we, ha we have to focus on the things that you can help that user experience whilst also making sure, yeah, we're providing that that overall, you know, improved page speed. So when you're looking to advise someone in terms of the investment in, in page speed experience and, and those core vitals, how do you go about doing that? So it's, it's pretty standard. Like, you know, you're, it does depend on the platform, right? Like a Magento versus a WordPress. WordPress is going to take, you know, probably a 10th or 1% of the time. Like WordPress might be like, 20 hours of optimization, it just depends on what platform you're on. But things that we look at when we're estimating, like what platform are you on? Um, what kind of theme are you utilizing? Uh, the most important one to me is, and this is like a huge low hanger fruit, low hanging fruit is like what server and what hosting platform are you using? It's like we've been seeing a lot of AWS sites slowing down once the bandwidth gets a little bit higher. Like once you realize that traffic you know, it's not as consistent. Uh, so we've been moving all of our sites to uh, OVH cloud um, and, and making sure that that server response time is fast and the bandwidth's unlimited or enough so that, you know, 
OVH, I think, has unlimited bandwidth. These are the things that are going to like bottleneck all of your other things. So if your server's slow, it doesn't matter how fast the code is, right? Mm -hmm. um, if the bandwidth isn't there, you're not going to have consistency for your users or Google's bots, and you're going to get, you know, Core Web Vitals rankings that are up one day and down the next, right? And so looking at those two things would really be the, the main, um, like those, those are where we start. And then we dive into like the, every site's a little different, right? So, um, you know, I think having tranches for the bigger sites is typically what we do. We love to come in and, and just optimize as much as we can in as fast of a time frame as we can. And that tends to work well on sites like WordPress or, you know, maybe some Magento and Shopify. There's some, some quick wins there, but typically on the Magentos, the Shopify's, the, the um, sites that are using like drag and drop builders and have a lot of backend JavaScript or PHP, you know, those are things that will, will inherently um, act as hurdles. And so making sure that you have a really great theme and we know like the limitations of the environment, the theme, the server and the plugins. Um, once you've optimized the whole site, the last kind of remaining component is your third party plugin. So like most of the time that's what's really going to, require some like creative solutions or um, analyzing that ahead of time to make sure that that we know which levers we can pull and which ones you know inherently like hey we need to leave um, you know privy pop up on the site as this is like how we get our newsletter opt-ins like cool just know that that's going to be a, a limiting factor to the point that we're all discussing today it's like we don't necessarily need 100 out of 100 we just want to have a, a you know really great you know, fast experience for people that are on like a three or four G and might be visiting the site, you know, in a mobile first world that um, would expect that the site, you know, the site is going to load quick. So it is a, you know, for WordPress sites like Reese on my team, he's actually in the UK with you guys. Um, maybe a couple other developers that are, that are led by Reese and, you know, we love to go in and, and like optimize a full site in a week. It just depends on the scope of that site and, what theme they're on and that kind of thing. So if you start with themes that are more optimized or you start with less third-party um, scripts or, or have, you know, better baselines to work from, you know, can it expedite that. Um, and it can also, you know, a lot of bigger firms that, um, or as a uh, firms that go for like the bigger development staff, like we're mm -hmm. maybe like a 14 to 20 person agency and they're like, let's go to like a hundred person agency. And it's, it's like, cool. Right. There's always there's always that. Um, I don't always believe that you get the same value, right? So like they're gonna bill you one twenty to two hundred an hour, and they're just gonna go through a punch list, and that's gonna get farmed out to some other developer on their team, and they're just gonna keep a log of hours. Well, next thing you know, that one developer spent a hundred hours, and they haven't focused on. They've only focused on like three areas of your core web vitals, not like the whole thing, right? Or um, hey, we've spent all this time and money, but we didn't realize that we had like 20 third-party scripts that if we had just optimized these third-party scripts, we could probably get a better score that way in addition to the co the code optimization that's going to need to happen. So like, it depends what the upside is, right? If you're a store doing like a million dollars a month in revenue, page feed's going to be huge, right? Like you could double your conversion rate, double your sales, double your profit, right? Um, yeah. And if you're on a Magento store, like it might be worth that investment. I've seen it time and time again, especially when you count all of your channels, right? You're, you're looking at like your pay traffic, you're looking at your email, you're looking at your social, you're looking at your SEO. What if you had a, you know, 
50% uplift across all of your channels or 20% uplift or, you know, depends on how fast you can get it. But like the idea is that, you know, you go from a site that loads in eight to 10 seconds to a site that loads in two to three seconds, which is pretty tricky, right? It's hundred yeah. percent possible and doable. You might, you may double your conversion rate. And so everyone just wants to add more leads to the top of the funnel. PageSpeed's a great way to squeeze a little bit more juice out of the orange or a little bit more juice out of the fruit, especially if you're doing numbers and volume, right? Like that will pay for itself. It's just knowing what's at stake like and knowing um, what the most efficient methods are going to be to get to that goal is, is requires some tact and some experience and some strategy and knowing what, you know, knowing what kind of engine then under the hood is really important when you're, when you're ready to upgrade it. Right. So, um, you know, as a, as a mechanic, right. You can't always just supercharge an engine. Like sometimes those engines can't handle it, but there's certain engines that can handle it and can, you know, you can double the speed and double the output. So it's kind of knowing what you're working with at the beginning. You know, if you got a Mercedes engine under in your car, right. Like you can probably handle the, the, the optimizations if you've got like a you know got like an old like you know mustang engine that's like on its way out you know like it might not be able to handle it or there, there might be too much you know duct tape and bubble gum so to speak on that engine to really see it through to your next stage or next season of business so uh, sometimes we'll rebuild the themes sometimes we'll rebuild the whole site a lot oftentimes we're trying to make the best out of what we have uh, it just depends on the client goals. And some people's goals are perfect scores or highest possible scores. Other people's are, are like, let's make a substantial improvement. And if we can continually optimize, um, you know, the site over the course of, of, you know, the engagement with the SEO campaigns that we're doing, we can always kind of move the needle over time once you've kind of realized that like larger gain at the beginning. Yeah, of course. I think something interesting that you've mentioned a few times there is around conversion rate. And then you've when we were discussing around the CLS area, you're talking about that impact in your opt-in rates, whether that be you know conversion or uh, I guess newsletter sign up or anything like that. When we talk about SEO and core vitals, I think the, the intermediate jump is in proving kind of keyword performance and visibility within search engines. And but as we know, you know, core vitals page speed is there to impact that user experience and help, you know, uh, achieve those conversions and improve that conversion rate. So in terms of when you're, I guess, working on improving page speed and conversion rate, whilst we, you know, do it to help, you know, see Google as, you know, the perfect website and to satisfy that user experience, how do you look to report on, I guess, in investment in page speed and core web vitals and conversion rate? I mean, uh, do you typically look to, you know, whilst it's maybe an SEO-focused objective or a user experience-focused objective, do you look to report on the conversion rate uplift or, you know, the, the, the specific traction gained in specific conversions or anything like that? Yeah, so, you know, most of, of the gains are, like, implied at the beginning, right? So if we can use the uh, – usually, we, like, we look at load time in seconds – and like those lab results, right, um, or real-time results on your core web vitals. So you may say like, um, we're currently at a 15-second like first paint or 10-second first paint, and our goal is to get this to a three-second, right? So there's like certain quantifiable things where you can say, okay, the size of the page was, you know, 20 megabytes, now it's two, or was five megabytes, now it's one, right? So there's like a sizing thing, uh, but then, you know, everything that we like to do is data driven. So we usually do a change log, look at Google analytics, 
um, and, you know, run some reporting after that change has taken place, right? And so we say, okay, you know, March uh, 24th, we optimized the site. Uh, it's going to take Google a little bit of time to recrawl. We should be able to see a reduction in bounce rate, an increase in dwell time, an increase in conversion rate, uh, and an increase in revenue if it's a digital product, right? If it's more of like a B2B service, like an increase in opt-ins. Uh, so David, you've, you've mentioned to me sort of uh, as we've been planning this episode and, and speaking in advance that you will, uh, one of the tools you use away from Pure Core Web Vitals is uh, Google Optimize. So we wanted to give the opportunity just to hear a bit more about how you use that for kind of wider UX considerations um, and sort of broadening, I, I guess, the scope of what you're doing in SEO and understanding about how users are behaving on the websites you're working on. So uh, what is it that you're using Google Optimize for in your regular, regular work that your agency carries out? And, and why do you find that helpful in the strategies that you're doing? Yeah, we love to use Google Optimize to split test different pieces of content um, and as you know, just like with like a Facebook ad or something that's creative, right? Like it's subjective. There's, there's many different ways that you can test sites and it's important to have a constant in the experiment. So, um, what we'd like to use Google optimize for is a B testing of different landing page experiences or different types of content, like maybe two pages that talk about the same topic, right? But maybe have different types of lead-ins and yeah. uh, optimization around that content. And so where I love to start for people, like one of the great places that you can start with in Google Optimize is like your opt-in page, right? So how do we just get a little bit higher conversion rate out of those opt-in pages? And uh, whether you're asking them to book a call or you're asking them to buy a product, you know, there are um, strategic tests that you can run um, in parallel, that will tell you like what an uplift could look like. So um, like one of those is adding social proof above the fold or adding someone's picture above the fold if it's like a schedule page. Um, maybe having, uh, uh, they call it like the leading line or like where are people's eyes going to and what are we presenting? What kind of option are we presenting to them? Are we giving them, you know, really on a, when you're measuring conversions, right? So you'd set up your AB split test. You would actually want to make sure that you have a goal set up in analytics or yeah. tag manager, uh, AdWords, whatever you're, you're testing, right? Uh, Facebook, making sure that the conversion tracking setup so you can actually measure your end result. And then, you know, starting, starting to pull some levers to try to increase that opt-in rate. So if you're, think, if you're thinking about something like opt-in rate or trying to find a way to um, improve that opt-in rate, like are you presenting the user with, the option that would actually have them opt in or are you presenting them with other information, right? So that's really where you can take a look at like, what is your current funnel structure? Um, does it align with the conversion goal? Every page should have a goal. And like, yeah. it, it, are the things that we're presenting to the user getting them closer to the goal or further away? Like, you know, if it's an opt-in page, are we presenting them with a bunch of text as to why they should opt in? Or are we just giving them the opt-in, right? Are we giving them some context around it? Or are we literally just trying to make a sale after five seconds and knowing them? These are like different strategies that you can utilize. And it's going to depend on where they're at in the funnel, if they're at the very top or at the very bottom or somewhere in between. Right? There's some kind of goal or event that you want them to achieve. And then within that context, right, finding opportunities from both the design or content perspective. Typically, we're making one, you know, kind of sweeping change in testing, making another change in testing. And so you can see, okay, for example, we had a site um, 
called Fully Accountable. They're an e-commerce accounting firm. We took their schedule now page and it was at like, you know, a one or 2% opt-in rate and we're able to triple it to like a six or a seven, right? Um, E-commerce stores, most of them convert at like a 1% or less. You know, if you can double your conversion rate, right? Which is pretty hard to do. I should probably rephrase that. But like, if you can boost that conversion rate and get it over 1% or one and a quarter percent, right? Just by tweaking the product page or maybe, you know, adding that additional bit of context or finding opportunities to add social proof, things that are going to help encourage that opt-in, maybe better pictures or different pictures or different models in those pictures, right? Like these are the types of things that you can test on a, you know, granular level over the course of weeks or months. And align it to that goal and be able to, to, to get it all synced up. And have you, when you've been doing some of those tests, has there been anything that surprised you or any results that you found particularly interesting, maybe that have uh, informed your decisions for the future, things you, you maybe uh, didn't expect to see going into them? Uh, you know, I'll be honest, I don't do a lot of the testing. Uh, what I, you know, some of the items that I shared, like changing the photos or changing mm. the reviews, like, these are things that we did pretty much expect. So like, you know, yeah. you add social proof or you add, you know, different photos of, of people. If they're, if it's a male focused audience and you had a picture of a female, like you tend to get a higher opt-in rate. Not saying that's always the case, mm. right? But there's situations like that where you want it, you want to try to make an inference around like what is going to move the needle. Um, in terms of surprises. Yeah. I would, I would probably defer to my team on that one. And um, just, just, I don't have a lot of, um, you know, eyeballs on this right now in terms of yeah. like myself looking at the experiments anymore. Well, it's still helpful to know though that in a lot of cases, you know, what you've seen in the past has been largely you've had you've had a sense of what's going to make the difference, and then you've you've seen it make the difference because it's helpful with these things to you know, to be able to have a, a level of confidence that what you're suggesting is going to make a difference because then it's you know, easier to make sure you're, you're actually suggesting things that are going to uh, going to improve the site in the future. So uh, even if uh, even if the funny stories may not be there with with this, it's still nice. You know, it's nice to know that some things are predictable and there are some best practices that you can put in place to be improving the user experience on your site. Um, yeah. Just a final question on on this, really, I think just to just to go into kind of a, a broader view of UX uh, and your approach to it strategically. Um, when working on the UX of a website, is that something you think of as um, something that will feed into the SEO strategy, maybe impact the rankings and improve your organic performance? Or are you thinking of UX as maybe something separate in addition to SEO that's maybe working towards different sorts of goals? Like how much of an overlap is there in those types of activities? Uh, So that's a good question. I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the reason... um, why people need UX is like content can be boring, right? So Mm. like you have to make it exciting for people and you have to have a visual representation of what's being said because a lot of people aren't reading anymore, right? Or they're scanning. And so, um, you know, the way that like we um, approach UX is that it's, you know, it's your first impression of your brand. So, Mm. you know, aside from like your logo and your things like that, like do people enjoy browsing your site? And there are sites that you can test with, you know, users in the market um, where they will give you some feedback about like what their experience was. Yeah. Um, A lot of the time, like you can just go on your phone and like see, does your mobile experience match to your desktop experience? 
Um, you know, the most important component is, is we want to create world-class sites or create world-class experiences. And that's the only real way that you're going to get to page one consistently mm. is by having exceptional experiences. And so does it necessarily mean that your, your design has to be like a Webby award-winning design? Like we'd like, we'd like it to be, we'd love yeah. it to be. And, and we have a team of people that could help you do that. And if that's not the case, right? Like what can we start doing today just to help improve that user experience? So like things like sliders, like very rarely do people stay on the page long enough to have a slider. It impacts your page speed pretty significantly. It's render blocking JavaScript that needs to be loaded like before the rest of the site loads. So like, you know, maybe it's getting rid of a slider. More importantly, maybe it's, it's redoing the whole website. So like, you know, when we look at a client, we say, hey, you know, how's your content? Is it good? Okay, how's your bounce rate? How's like the website look? Does it look dated? Does it look like a, a best-in-class site? Does it actually reflect the quality of your brand? Or is yeah. it just, you know, just something to have, right? And and over time, just like styles and clothing and, and music and fashion, right? And, and cars or whatever you're into, right? Like styles change. So it's yeah. important to be on the cutting edge and innovating side of that style doesn't mean you need to reinvent your website every year. doesn't mean that you need to stay on top of like, what are the best practices? So like, you know, making sure that it's easy and accessible and has a great experience and users can find what they want and interact with the sections of the website that they need to interact with and, and do so in a way that like the data shows that they're spending longer periods of time on the site instead of less periods of time, right? Like these are, you know, the, the strings and levers that you're going to want to pull to, in order to find that. And there's a, there's a process around that, right? Like having really mm -hmm. great designers and developers on your team, making sure that, you know, the responsiveness scales correctly, no matter what device or browser they're on, whether it's, you know, their grandma who like drags the window to a smaller size or whatever yeah. it is, like it should be consistent. So, um, you know, responsiveness is typically an issue. If your site design is really clean, it just isn't like, consistent for all users that's one yeah, area yeah. or the design itself may be lacking or or lacking inspiration or innovation or, or you know it's like you can tell when someone gets your attention just like with a great mm -hmm. piece of content it's got a hook right so like with your website your website also needs to complement um that hook and i would just question yourself and question question your and say question yourself but question if you're a solopreneur and you just have one person if you're a larger brand or maybe a mid-sized brand, like does the website reflect the quality of your brand? And if you were a user and didn't know anything about your, your market or your brand, like what kind of experience would you have? And would yeah. you find it compelling enough to opt in? And, and if not, you know, maybe you need to des design multiple different funnels for the different types of demographics that you have. So, you know, some people will come in very educated. Other people are coming in literally top of funnel and don't want to be hard pitched. They're going to want to find information, right? Then yeah. you have people that are kind of in between. So I think having different paths for people is an overlooked tip. Um, mm -hmm. That would be really helpful for them. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing those, those tips throughout really, there was so much useful stuff um, so much useful stuff covered there. And um, just as a final question, really, if, if people want to see anything more from you or from Peaks Digital, uh, how can they find you on, on social media or elsewhere online? Yeah, so check, check us out, Peaks Digital Marketing on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow me, David A. Finberg, on Instagram. And then uh, we have, you know, audits and like different opportunities that we can help you uncover if you're looking to, you know, uncover a few insights 
uh, in your business, you can always visit our website, peaksdigitalmarketing.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll put some links in the, uh, in the show notes and in the blog post that goes live with this episode as well. So uh, if you're listening and looking to find out more about David and his team, then uh, we'll make sure those links are easy for you to find. But otherwise, that will do, uh, that will do us for this week's Rank Up podcast episode. Um, so thank you so much for your time, David. It's been great to have you. Hey, this has been a, a real treat, um, Ben, Ed. This is a, you know, such a great show, and, and I appreciate you guys taking, uh, you know, taking some time and giving us the opportunity to come on. Oh, you're, you're more than welcome. And uh, for all of those of you listening at home, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more on-page SEO content. We'll continue to bring you a variety of voices from within the SEO industry. Uh, but in the meantime, we always appreciate it if you could leave a review on the podcast app of your choice. It really helps more people to find us. And if you want to see what's going on with myself and Ed, you can find us on Twitter at Ben J. Gary with two R's and at Ed JTW with two D's. And you can find out what's going on at Impression as well at over at impression.co.uk slash blog. And as always, we highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers, which is a fantastic way to find more people who are speaking and writing about the kind of topics that we cover. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks, David. Thanks, Ed. And we'll be back uh, just in a couple of weeks' time for your next installment of On Page Conversation. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.